I'll talk, um, I'll talk a fair bit tonight, so you're welcome to take notes. So if you haven't got a bit of paper and a pen, um, please grab one, although some of those um, photocopied sheets you've got there uh, they're blank on the other side, so you're welcome to write on the back of those. I'm hoping that some of the things I'm saying are going to be worthy of writing down. There are some handouts, and they're, um, they're some of the bigger topics that I'm going to talk about, so, um, <coughs> so they'll be there for you to re reference back to, because my goal this evening is to... Give, I'm, going to be, I'm hoping to give quite a bit of information that um, I'm hoping will be helpful for all. Now, all of it probably won't be helpful for everybody, but I'm hoping that in there you'll find some things that resonate for you. So <coughs> my goal in there is that you write some of those things down so you can go back and reflect back on those things because it's the reflecting back on stuff that helps us go a bit deeper and it's when we go deeper that we can work some things through. But I'll talk about that in more detail as we go on. Tonight's about making our mind our friend because for many of us our mind is not, um, it's not a safe playground to be playing in. It can be a bit of a, um, a sad playground for some of us, a bit of a scary playground for some of us. And if our mind is not such a safe place to play in, it's probably not going to be such a safe place for others to be able to wander in as well. <clears throat> so my goal is to, um, to help us find some things that um, make, our, make the playground a safer place for us and for those around us. See, the health of any relationship is only as good as the mental and emotional health of the individuals in that relationship. And that's all of us. We're all individuals. <coughs> and so we come to a relationship as individuals. We have our own bumps and bruises, and I'll explain those a little later on. And those bumps and bruises come from our life, often our childhood, but not always. And then those bumps and bruises can end up um, defining us, and somebody can bump against a bump that we have or a bruise that we have, and we can react quite strongly to that. Sometimes we don't even know. In fact, often we don't know why we're reacting. <coughs> often we think that it's the other person that's hurt me because of what they've said or what they've done. But I'm hoping to unpack the, the concept that <coughs> you would have heard of the saying, you press my button, you rattled my cage, you yanked my chain, you pulled my string... Those are all indicators of an issue we have within ourselves. So if someone can press your button, it's your button. Now, maybe their finger that presses it, and so you try and chop their finger off, but the reality is, it's your button. And so if we can deal with our buttons, people can try and press them, but if there is no button there to press, there is no reaction from us. And if someone can rattle our cage, that to me is an indicator we're in a cage. If they can rattle your cage, you're in a cage. <clears throat> so the goal there is to get freedom, find the key so we can walk out of the cage and live in the freedom that, that, that has been made available to us by God. It's one of the really big, deep understandings is Jesus said it's for freedom that I've set you free. Stand firm then in that freedom. So if there's an area in your life that you're not feeling that free, 
that maybe you're feeling trapped or restricted, then that's often an indicator of something that's going on that may be worthy of checking deeper to see what is going on. Because if we don't check it out, it won't go away. <coughs> it's a bit like this. This is the classic, really. H for hurt. If I have a hurt in my life, maybe from my childhood, often it is. <coughs> if I have a hurt in my life, something that's happened to me, real or perceived, and I go like that because I don't know how to deal with it, it's too big a deal to deal with, especially at the age I am when it happens, so I don't know what to do, so I hide it away, has the hurt gone away? Well, it hasn't, and that then becomes the deep issues of our soul. And, and here's the thing, you can hold on to it, and it will never go away, like never, and I'll tell you a story or two in regards to that later on. So the only way a hurt can have any chance of being healed is when we go like that. But we don't want to go like that because it hurt when I was four and that person did that to me or said that to me or this or that happened. It hurt me real bad. So bad that I'm scared stiff of it. I can't go there again. And so to dare to go like that takes some courage. Well, <clears throat> we have a saviour that loves us, that died for us. He wants us to go like this. Because when we do what we can, he does what we can't. And then that H <coughs> can change itself from hurt to healed. Now, we still carry the memory. We still carry the scar. But we do not have to keep experiencing the pain of it anymore. We do not have to experience <coughs> the pain anymore. Excuse the cough, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just back from Wellington and I don't know where I got it. <coughs> It'll go away, I'm sure. <coughs> Jenny said, don't be silly, Alan. Too late. Our mind, there's a concept psychology concept called neuroplasticity. It's a big word. No idea how to spell it. You'll work out that I don't have an idea how to spell many words, but that's all right. I'm okay with that. <coughs> neuroplasticity is the understanding that our mind is moldable. It's pliable. It's able to change itself, <coughs> which, are, which is very, very good news. Because when we've had something happen to us and we form a belief around that and, we, and, and that belief becomes held within us, then <coughs> when, we, when we're able to trace and face and replace it or trace and face and acknowledge that, then our mind can reassess the belief we formed, and I'll unpack that in a bit of detail going forward, can reassess what we formed and, and reevaluate it and then determine, no, what I, the conclusion I came to when that happened to me is not informing me of the truth. The truth is this. And so then as we begin to pursue walking in the truth, as Jesus said, the truth will set you free because our mind can change, which is a profound relief, especially for me because I wouldn't have a job if I couldn't. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, 
I want you to have a look at those life quotes, <coughs> if you wouldn't mind. And just, just take a couple of minutes. So that, that was the first page in, in, in the little, little handouts. Just take a couple of minutes and go through those because the goal for me as we begin, you know, I talked about neuroplasticity, that our, our mind is moldable. I'm wanting, this will be almost the only interaction of the whole night. I mean, we'll, there'll be a time at the end where you can ask questions and things, but I'll be doing a lot of talking. So right now, I want to prepare us as best as we can to be... Um, um, able to absorb as much as we can because neuroplasticity is a little bit like when you go to the gym, you know, you've got to do some stretch exercises to prepare the muscle group you're going to work so that it doesn't, doesn't um, atrophy or, or, or doesn't, I won't use that word, doesn't break down. So, so this is about having a look at a few things and, and just getting your mind engaged with um, some concepts so that we're more open to receive things as, as we go through the evening. So just have a little look there. The goal for me is <coughs> find a quote there that you like and, and you're welcome, and, I, and I'll mention that in a minute, and you're welcome then to say this one I like or, or something like that, and or find a quote that you don't understand so that I can just unpack it from my perspective. So I'll give you, I'll give you three minutes on that one, thanks. <coughs> okay. You may not have finished reading those, but um, um, it's yours to, to go through at your leisure later on. Who here has found something that um, you know, was maybe significant or you didn't quite understand? You're welcome to mention that. We're only going to do this for three or four minutes. <coughs> okay, what number is that? Okay, some <clears throat> some of you won't have that one in your in your handout because I changed that more recently. So just say that out loud again, please. So did you did you know what that meant? Or, or okay, <clears throat> lies lead to bondage, truth leads to freedom. And so, you know, if you believe, and this is the stuff that we will be unpacking, if you form the belief in your childhood that you're useless, that will keep you bound up until you change that belief. So the more truth you believe, the more freedom you receive. And a, and a good way to look at that, <clears throat> God is truth, the devil is lies, God is light, the devil is darkness, or truth is light, the dev uh, lies are darkness. So when you believe a lie, you stumble around in the darkness and you will trip over. But when you receive the truth, it's like the light goes on and now finally you can see. So you don't have to stumble anymore. So that's, that's that in a nutshell. <coughs> Anybody else? Any reason why you like that? <coughs> it's a very it's 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 a uh, it's one of the fundamental principles of life, isn't it? We reap what we sow. So if that's true, 
that we reap what we sow, then wisdom would say, let's sow good seed. Because down the track, we're going to reap from that sowing. And if right now we're sowing bad seed, we need to recognize that actually this isn't going well for me. So I need to stop sowing that seed and sow better seed. That's good. Just a couple more. <coughs> Say it, please. Yeah. I guess that's reasonably self-explanatory, isn't it? It's one of the reasons clients come to me, because they're sick and tired of what they've been doing. They're sick and tired of what they've been getting. And they're in enough pain now to realise that if they don't change that, the road they're on takes them further down that track into, into, into more pain and more suffering. So if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. <coughs> How about one more? I like the, um, the truth of number eight. Say it out loud, please. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus made the statement, one of my favorite verses of scripture, uh, John 16, 33. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So trouble comes, yes it does, to all of us. So what we do with it will determine whether it becomes misery or whether it becomes unbearable or bearable. Whether we lean into the one that wants to walk alongside us or, or we lean away from him. That's our choice. <coughs> if we lean away, it's misery. If we lean in, there is hope. One of my favourite sayings is, um, we do what we can, God will do what we can't. When we do what we can, God will do what we can't. Here's another thought for you. God is not a rescuer in that he won't do for us that which we must do for ourselves. Now, anybody that's had children will know that when they're little children, we do just about everything. We feed them, we wipe their butts and all that sort of stuff. But if we keep doing that as they grow into adulthood, it ain't going to be a good look. So <clears throat> we need to recognize that maybe God has said, Alan, you need to start working yourself out of this hole you got yourself in. And as you begin to do that, I will come and walk with you. I will come and go ahead of you. I will come and do the stuff you can't do. Number 17, you don't, defeat you don't defeat darkness by wrestling with darkness. You defeat it by bringing in the light. That's a beautiful, that's, that's beautiful. You know, the darkness is the lies. <clears throat> I, love this, I love this concept. When the devil comes knocking at your door, send the Lord to answer it. When you have, <clears throat> when you have a, a yucky thought... Like I was talking to a client today. Any client I mention, is, it doesn't come from around here. <laughs> that, and they don't. I won't mention anyone that does come from around here. So, so you, if you put two and two together and get someone from this district, you're wrong because that's not who I'm talking about. 
<coughs> now I've forgotten my train of thought. Where was I going? When the devil comes knocking at your door, send the Lord to answer it. When you have a stink thought going on in your head and you entertain that thought with more stink thinking, guess where you will go? You'll, you'll end up in your own little hell. But when we, when we have a stink thought, because we, we can't stop the birds flying over our head we can stop them nesting in our hair. So don't get freaked out if a, if, if, if a yucky thought comes. Just send the Lord to answer that yucky thought with the truth. So that's my point. What's the truth? You know, <coughs> I'm a waste of space. I should be dead. Well, no, that's not of God. That's not the truth. So send the Lord to answer that one. What would he say in that situation? Let him speak on your behalf and begin to own what he says. And I was talking to a client today, and that's exactly what they did. They had this, oh, I'll use the word, crappy thought, because I'm going to probably end up using it somewhere along the line, so I may as well start now. So they had this crappy thought about themselves, <coughs> and they were, going, they were literally spiralling down. That's why they contacted me. They were spiralling down. And they came to the place, without my help, it was before they got to, to see me, they came to a place of putting on a piece of worship music, true story, and worshipping God. And this person said, within moments, things in their being started to change. When the devil comes knocking at your door, send the Lord to answer it. See, that's what we have as followers of Christ. <coughs> if you're not a follower here, flip, I encourage you to become one, <coughs> because that is what we have. He has made himself available. You know, we don't only have the truth, which is great. I'm a counsellor who is a Christian. I'm not a Christian counsellor in that I counsel. Probably one-third of my clients are non-Christian. <coughs> Two-thirds probably are Christian. And, and I love counselling both lots. <coughs> but the Christian, see, see, my pursuit for everybody is to find the lie, replace it with the truth. For a, from a Christian point of view, we find the lie, replace it with the truth, and hold on to the truth giver, the person. Now that's reassurance. That's comfort. That's what we have. That is available to us. Good. Oh, wait well on. Let me have one more. Um, oh, I love number 27. <coughs> I hope it's in everybody's one there. It might not be. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So if someone is making you feel inferior, it's not their fault. If you feel inferior because of something someone said or did, they've just pressed your button. It's all they've done. It's your button. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Because does God believe you're inferior? Does God say, oh, stink, made a mistake there? You know, sit. 6.999 billion people, I got absolutely right. But that one, you, I got a bit wrong. You're inferior. Well, he doesn't, does he? So no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So if you feel inferior somewhere, that's a red flag. Why? What do you believe about yourself when they pressed that button, when they ignored you or told you you were an idiot or whatever? <coughs> what did... What's your belief 
that accepted that as the truth. <coughs> Good mental health is when we agree with God. Poor mental health is when we disagree with God. I know it's, it's simple concepts. I understand they're not easy, but, but heck, that is what's available to us. It's there for us. We just need to reach out, take ownership, believe, believe and receive. When we do what we can, he will do what we can't. When we say, I accept that as the truth, he then comes in and is able to do things in and through our lives. When we don't, his hands are kind of tied. See, here's the thing. According to Genesis chapter 1, no, chapter 3, we're fallen creatures. So the fall has hurt us all. The fall has hurt us all. We are all damaged goods because of the fall. No one, <coughs> no one is exempt from that. So see if you can grab hold of this understanding. We come from God, creating his image, but we come through Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve stuffed up. And to be blunt, if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been Alan and Ginny, and most likely just Alan. So Adam took a bullet for me. I'm a bit disappointed and no, well I'm anyway, leave it at that. <laughs> so the fall has damaged us all. So everyone, this was a revelation for me, which was really helpful. We're all damaged, we're all broken. It's not just me and, and that other person there. It's all of us. Jesus made the statement I haven't come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. It's the sick who need the doctor, not the healthy. I haven't come to call righteous people to repentance, but sinners. Because guess what? If you think you're righteous, nothing wrong with me, mate. Don't need healing. But if we realize we're not, if we realize we're sick, we say, oh, I'm sick. I'll go to the doctor. I'll get what I need to get better. That's all of us. <coughs> so, so the good news is we're all damaged. But some of us are still not going for healing. I had an 80-year-old guy. See, it's not time that heals. It's not time that heals. It's truth that heals. Now, truth needs to be applied, and that can take some time, but time on its own won't heal. I promise you that. I had an 80-year-old guy come to me a little while ago, not a Christian, not from around here, <clears throat> sits in my office and he says to me, um, oh, my health professional told me I need to come to you, um, but I don't have a head problem, like I'm a shrink. I don't have a head problem. I've got a physical problem. And he showed his withered hand. I've got a physical problem. And his wife was sitting there and she says, just listen to him, dear. He might have something worth saying. <clears throat> and so then he literally does this. He folds his arms, he looks at me and he leans forward and he says, okay, fix me then. Now, I don't mind that, that's feisty. That's, he's engaged, fix me then. So I said, okay, tell me a bit about yourself. <coughs> he said to me, 
Now, I asked the appropriate questions, and I'm going to condense this. <coughs> he said to me, in my working career, I had three burnouts, and I blame the employer or employers for all of those burnouts. Burnt out three times in my working career. I said, okay, that's interesting. He said, and all my adult children, I'm just disconnected from them because they're just bloody idiots. He's not a Christian, so he could swear. I'm a Christian, and I wouldn't swear like that. So he said, they're idiots. I said, oh, that's okay. I said, tell me a little bit more about yourself. And so then he... <coughs> I asked the appropriate questions, and I got him to a place of thinking deeper than he had thought for quite a long time. And while he was thinking, he started, literally started to tear up. Tears started rolling down his face. Now, he is a tough old fella, this guy. And so that caught him out. And I said, what's going on? He said, I'm just remembering back when I was a kid at school and I was bullied at school. <coughs> now, the reason he was bullied at school is, remember, he's 80 years old. World War II was on. His surname is a German surname. He's a Kiwi. His, his surname is a German surname. And so he got bullied at school for that reason. And I said, okay, what conclusion did you come to from being bullied at school? <coughs> and he very quickly said, oh, from that I believed I'm not good enough. And I said, okay, so you believed you're not good enough. What effect do you think that's had on your life? You know, that was when you were five or six, you believed that. What effect do you think that's had on your life? And then the penny dropped and the light went on. <coughs> and he looked at me. Because he began to realize very, very quickly. See, he believes he's not good enough. And so when he works for any employer, it's like, I've got to hide myself from that employer because I'm naked before him. I'm not good enough. I don't want him to be, I don't want to expose myself in front of my employer. So I'll work really, really, really hard so the employer won't realize I'm not good enough, which is exactly what he did. Burnt out three times because of that. And we unpacked that a little further and he said, Oh, now I realize. My children, when they were born, I had determined that I'll make sure that they are so well-behaved that I can actually hide behind them too. If they're well-behaved, no one will know I'm not good enough. They'll see me through the children. Oh, what wonderful children you've got. Oh, that's good. That's something I can clothe, my, clothe myself in because I'm naked. And then he looks at me and he says, you've just made me feel worse. <laughs> Not necessarily the best thing to hear from a counsellor's point of view, but it's, it's an honest engagement and I actually didn't mind hearing it because I knew exactly what he was about to say. So I said to him, why is that? He said, I should have come to you 30 years ago. Because he realised his belief produced his behaviour. Beliefs produce behaviour. Behaviour does not come alone. Behaviour comes from beliefs. That's a big deal. So our beliefs produce our behavior. gets really, really sad <coughs> with this guy because he literally stands up, says to me, I'm not listening to any more, and he walks out the door. Remember, he had no connection to the Savior. He realized the truth, and he realized what he had done. He realized what has happened. He's 80, so t time alone didn't heal him, did it? 80 years, no healing there. So he walks out of my office. As he walks past me, <coughs> I literally say to him, you still have time to seek reconciliation with your adult children. Because he does. Now I'm not listening to any more of that. And he was gone. 
And his wife walks two steps behind him and leans into me, whispering, I might be back to see you myself. She never was. So we not only have the truth, but the truth giver. Do not forget that. With everything that I talk about tonight, the, found, <coughs> the foundation of that is we need the Holy Spirit in our life. We need his presence. <coughs> we need his provision. We need his comfort. We need his guidance. We need his challenging. Him challenging us. Because why does he challenge us? Because he wants us to grow and become free. It's all about freedom. It's all about freedom. You see, the Bible is not just about stories that once upon a time happened. It's about stories that still happen. In Genesis 3, 5 to 12, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? (coughs) Adam replied, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God knew where he was, of course. He's God. What he really, really wanted from Adam was for Adam to step out from behind the bushes he was hiding behind and go, my bad, I've stuffed up. I'm real, real sorry. Genuine repentance. But he didn't because the next line is, the woman you gave me. He didn't even blame Eve. He blamed God. It's not my fault. It's your fault. How many of us do that when we get caught out? Flip, I know I do. Oh, not much though. No, I'm, all, I'm all better from that now. But the natural reaction is, no, it wasn't me. We do that because we come from God, but we're through Adam and Eve. Remember? We're through them. So the whole, oh, before I say that statement, I was afraid fear entered the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. Shame entered the garden. So I hid. Guilt entered the garden. Fear, shame, and guilt seeded from Adam and Eve. We're sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. How big a deal is fear, guilt, and shame in our lives, in your lives? It's crushing. So the first Adam stuffed up. The second Adam put it right. The whole quest of our life... (coughs) is to regain the original image we were created in. That's it. Like, if I had a Bible here, I'd hold the Bible up and say, from the beginning, Genesis to Revelation, is all about regaining the original image we were created in. We're tainted from Adam and Eve. That's not our original image. When you look at yourself, what do you see? And I'll be talking about that in a minute. See, guilt is about we we feel bad for what we've done. Shame is about we feel bad for who we are. Think about it. Guilt is feeling bad for what you've done. Shame is feeling bad for who you are. It's crushing. And there's only one solution to that, you know. And I truly mean this. There's only one solution to shame and guilt, and that is Christ. There's, There's no other Nothing. 
See, God is wandering in your inner garden, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. He's wandering in your inner garden, and here's the bush, and here we are hiding behind it. And we've clothed ourselves with our own fig leaves. We've clothed ourselves with our own beliefs. We've clothed, clothed ourselves with our own efforts. And, <clears throat> and I've got a vivid imagination. Adam and Eve in the garden, hot day, clothing themselves with fig leaves. Yeah, how long are they going to last looking good before they start to wilt and expose some bits you don't want to see? Well, God wants to clothe us in his righteousness, which is exactly what he's made available through Christ. You know, I go to Waikiri Prison. <clears throat> I haven't since COVID, uh, since lockdown. And I'll talk to the inmates about bits and pieces and, and every now and then one of them would come up to me and I've got a guy in my mind that came up to me. And, um, and I'd shared Christ a little bit. That's not what I was there for, but captive audience. <coughs> and this, this, this old fella comes up to me and he said, God could never forgive me. I said, why is that? He said, I murdered someone. I said, you're the very person he's come for. You realise what you've done. You know, did did Christ pay the price for him or not? He took everybody's guilt, everybody's shame, every single ounce of it. Imagine owning the freedom that is yours by, by liberating yourself, by standing out from your bushes that we're hiding behind, like that 80-year-old guy, I'm not good enough, <coughs> and saying, I've stuffed up. And Christ says, yeah, I know, but I've paid the price. You're my beloved son, I've paid the price. All of it. All of it, Alan. Oh, no, but I need to do more to make you happy with me. Uh, no, you don't. Do you mean my death was not enough? Well, it was. It's a bit of a journey for us to own that, isn't it? Because I could say to you about, that 80, uh, about, about the old guy, and there's numbers of others. I said, I said to a guy a little while ago, I said, if there was a loving God, would you want him to find you? Now, every time I've said that to people, all of them would say, yes, of course I do. This guy said, no. He said, no. I said, why is that? He said, because I don't deserve to be found by a loving God because of all the things I've done. And I said to him, you're the very person he's come for. You're the very person. And I would imagine all here would say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Christ can set him free, can liberate him. doesn't matter what he's done. Freedom but you won't own it for yourself. We, we won't, it's hard to own it for ourselves. The hardest person to forgive is ourselves. But Christ has forgiven us. When we do what we can, he will do what we can't. When we come out from behind the bush and say, oh, man, I have stuffed up. I thank you so much for what you have done for me. Thank you. He comes in and he brings healing. <coughs> See, God does not use guilt, shame, and condemnation on his children. Need to think about that. God does not use guilt, shame, and condemnation on his kids. Conviction, yes. Absolutely. I've been convicted by God and it's made me feel this big. It involved water pistols and other things. But anyway. That's an in-house joke. Only Paul Vestin, maybe one or two others know the answer to that one. God does not use guilt, shame, and condemnation. 
How are you going with that? What do you use on others to get them to do what you want? And what do you try and use on yourself? See, guilt, shame and condemnation is just like big rocks put in your knapsack that you've now got to trudge along. Where conviction is, <coughs> my bad stuffed up, I want to put that right. Conviction inspires us to put it right. Judas Iscariot, <coughs> he was crushed by what he did. He went out and hung himself. Guilt, shame and condemnation killed him. Not by God it didn't, but by himself. Peter denied Christ three times. When he saw Christ, he ran to him, or hopped out of the boat, swam, then ran to him. Conviction. <coughs> so like I said, the quest of our life is to regain the original image we were created in. And how do we go about this? By fixing the things in our life that announce themselves in need of repair. Fixing the things in our life that announce themselves in need of repair. What do you know that's, that's broken in you, with you, through you, by you, whatever? But he's saying, oh, you really need to fix that. When Jesus began his ministry, he read from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, <coughs> 1 to 3. He said, For the Spirit of the Lord is on me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the captives and set the prisoners free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he looked at everybody and said, And this has now been fulfilled in your presence. So they took him out to try and kill him because they didn't like that idea because he was claiming to be God. See, binding up broken hearts, not physical, emotional. We have broken hearts. We're all, we're all damaged goods, remember? So he wants to heal your broken heart, to release you from captivity. It's not a physical prison. It's not like, let's go to Waikiri and release some people in Jesus' name. It's what thinking have you got going on in you that's restricting you, that's keeping you locked up in your stink thinking. Well, he's come to set you free from that. And release from darkness, not a physical darkness, it's an absence of hope. An absence of hope will kill you. Guaranteed. <coughs> I, love, I love the concept of repentance. Repentance... <clears throat> we see repentance as an army term, and it's like your, your, your soldiers marching, and, <coughs> and whoever it is that's uh, calling you to stop, he says, repent, and that's turn around, and you go another way. So repentance is turning around. But actually, repentance is way more than turning around. Repentance is to change your mind. That's Derek Prince. He said that. I like it. Because... If I repent and just turn around, but I haven't changed my mind, I'm now looking back. I'm now looking back. So the whole goal is to renew our mind, is to have our mind changed so we can own the truth and the truth will liberate us. <coughs> 
See, by way of an example, <coughs> in regards to an addiction or a habit that you might be wanting to deal with, the question isn't <coughs> how to try and quit the addiction. That's not the right question to ask yourself. The question is, <coughs> what do I need to do to have a better life? See, if you have an addiction and you don't really want to give it up, you won't give it up. But if you have an addiction and you realize this addiction is restricting you, it's killing you, slowly destroying your life, slowly taking away anything of, of value that's yours in the future or even now, and you say, I do not want that, I want things to change, now things can begin to change. <coughs> you know, the addiction isn't the issue. The issue is that you're not living your best life. You need a vision for your life that's more compelling than the addiction. It's what we need. So we change our mind and we say, oh, I want that. Because guess what? Many addictions are quite appealing. That's why we do it. They have a sense of appeal about them. <coughs> they become our prison guard. But the reason we get hooked into them because initially they had quite an appeal. Well, we need to be able to say, oh, yeah, I don't mind that. That looks good, that addiction, that pornography or whatever it is. That looks good. But, oh, no. Oh, no, I want that more. I want the freedom. I want the liberty. I, I, I want the transparency. I want, I want to be a person that, that stands out from the crowd so that others can see Christ in me. I want that. Well, now we have some hope. <coughs> see, God can't deliver you from your enemies God can't deliver you from your friends, only your enemies. Until we make that addiction our enemy, we're stuck. The main thing I get from my life is who I become. That's the main thing. The main thing God gets from my life is who I become. It's the same thing. Who are you becoming? Are you happy with who you're becoming? Are you happy to stay on the road you're on for the next five years? Is that leading you to becoming more the person that you want to be? Or is the road you're on taking you down a place that you know isn't good for you? You need to recognize that. You need to challenge yourself. You need to be able to say, okay, this is where I am now. If I keep on this road, where will I be in five years? And that's what I often say to clients when they come to me. <coughs> you know, I've got, I've got husband and wife turn up and, um, and one of them has um, an alcohol issue and the other one says, you've got an alcohol issue and then the one with the alcohol issue says, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. No, no you know, I don't have an alcohol problem. I just can't get enough of it. I'm trying to be funny. And I say, I say, okay, if this continues, where is, it going, where is it going to take you? If you continue on this road, where is it going to take you? And then they wander off because, you know, because one wasn't all that engaged. And three years later, the one that wasn't engaged now comes back much more broken because they're now separated. And he's lost, he or she has lost an awful lot. And so now he's hurting an awful lot more and he realizes that I don't want what I've got now. I hate it. I said, good. Now we can get somewhere.
Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's one of my favorite scriptures. So what, that's, what that is meaning is don't conform to the way you're living, to the pattern that you're living by. Don't conform to that. Don't just slip into that. But be transformed, because slipping into that means that's all you're going to get. But to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, I now see clearer. I realize that what I'm doing, if we keep on, as someone said, if we do what we've always done, we'll get what we've always got. No, I don't want that now. I want something different. So that's where transformation begins to take place. <coughs> see, the battleground is the battlefield of the mind. Our victory is won or lost there. It's in our mind. That's why Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free, to bind up the broken hearted, to release the prisoners. Because that's where the battle is. Do you know the only access the devil has into your life? There's only one way he can get at you. The only access he has into your life is through the lies you believe. That's it. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what happened? They believed the lie. Jesus says, the devil has no hold of me. The prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold of me. Why was he able to say he had no hold of him? Because he was tempted in the desert and he, he rejected the devil by quoting the truth back to him. And then in Ephesians it says, um, <coughs> Paul is saying to the church, he said, don't give the devil a foothold. Can't quite remember where that verse is. But in Ephesians, don't give the devil a foothold, which actually means we can. So what's the foothold? Well, if you believe a lie, he'll come stomping through your world, through your life. And do you know how long he'll continue to do that? Till you're dead. And here's a sobering thought. If you believe a lie, you've also given the devil access to your family. What a curse is. Passed down, generation to generation. Chop those curses off. Chop them off. Chop the lies off. <coughs> Something's going on in your life that you're noticing. Find out what the root of it is. Come against the root of it with the truth in Jesus Christ's name and chop it off. And then go live in the truth. Because that's what we've got to do. We've got to live in the truth. <coughs> I'm mindful of time. The greatest gift we can give ourselves is the gift of self-awareness. See, here's a thing for you. Our subconscious has more influence over us than any other single thing. And I will explain that. I'll go into detail about that. Our subconscious influences us more than any other single thing. <clears throat> From the womb... To the age of seven, those are called the formative years. So this is you, me, we all were born. From the womb to the age of seven, we've never been in this world before, and so we, we, we're born into this world, and we're looking around, <coughs> figuratively speaking, we're looking around trying to make sense of the world we've entered. So we're absorbing information. Children are great absorbers of information, poor interpreters of information. So we absorb information about ourselves and our world, and we come to conclusions that are inaccurate. Then those conclusions become sub, excuse me, become subconsciously held beliefs. Those subconsciously held beliefs have more influence over us than anything else. 
they have the potential to have more influence over us than God. Pregnant pause for you to think about that one. See, if, if, <coughs> if you've come to a conclusion about yourself that you're a failure, if you've come to a conclusion that you're dumb, that you're ugly, that you're worthless, that you're insignificant, that you're unwanted, if you've come to a conclusion, just one of those, any of those, and there's numerous other ones, if you believe that about yourself, does God agree with you? If you believe you're worthless, does God agree with you? Well, of course he doesn't. But if you believe you're worthless, guess where you will be living? You'll be living out of that lie. For how long? Until you're dead or until you've dealt with it. <coughs> and that's the access the devil has into your life. He will screw you around. He hates your guts. He can't get at God, so he gets at the image bearers of God. It happens to be humanity. He hates your guts. He wants you down. He wants you stuffed. He wants you dead. And he doesn't mind whether it's physical dead or whether it's emotional dead or whether it's hopeless dead. He wants you dead. If I believe something about myself that God doesn't agree with, one of us is wrong. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? What do you think about you? Does God make ugly stuff? Nope. Do you think you're a failure? And God says, I don't do failure. Who's right? You or God? Our subconscious has more influence over us than any other single thing. <clears throat> so the greatest gift we can give ourselves is a gift of self-awareness. <clears throat> we're going to stop. No, we're not. <laughs> we'll stop in 10 minutes. Hope that's okay, everybody. I really want to get this out. This is in your notes, <clears throat> but you don't have to refer to them now, although you can if you want to, I guess. See, if the greatest gift we can give ourselves... You know, God has given us the gift of salvation through Christ. The greatest gift we can give ourselves is the gift of our own self-awareness. Remember, our, we believe our behavior comes from our beliefs. What we believe about ourselves deep down affects and infects our life. So this is a five-story building, and this, this building represents you. You are this five-story building. <coughs> so that's... That's grass, this is ground level. So this is under the ground, so this is basement. And so, so being us, the bit that's under our ground is our subconscious. So this is our subconscious. <clears throat> I can't spell so I scribble, you'll never know. You don't even know what the word says, I've just said it, so hopefully it will trigger you. That's the, worst, that's the worst subconscious I've ever written, I think. So this is the top of who we are. This is the bit that's easy to see. You go, <coughs> go to Hamilton, get on top of a hill, you look at the city, you can see the tops of the tall buildings. Easy to see. To get to the basement of those buildings, quite a journey. We're on a journey. Remember, we're on a journey of getting to our subconscious. 
So the top bit of who we are is our actions, our behaviour, our speech. <coughs> how we act, how we behave and what we say is easy for us to see in ourselves, easy to, for us to see in others. But that flaw there <coughs> doesn't sit mysteriously three stories off the ground. The only reason that flaw is there is this flaw enables it to be there. So beneath my actions and my behaviour and my speech, this generates that. And that's my feelings, my moods, my emotions. <coughs> and the classic here is feel happy, act happy. Feel unhappy, act unhappy. It's cause and effect. Good mood, good behaviour. Stink mood, stink behaviour. Cause and effect. <coughs> But just like that floor comes from here, this floor comes from here, the further we go down, the harder it is to see. So beneath my feelings and my moods and my emotions, this generates that. And this is our self-talk. <coughs> our thoughts. So my crappy self-talk kicks in crappy feelings, which kicks in crappy actions, which kicks in a crappy life. But we're not on the ground yet. So this is my negative self-talk. People don't come to me because of their positive self-talk. So my negative self-talk generates that. <coughs> and under my self-talk are my beliefs. And these are beliefs I know about. <coughs> but under that are the hidden beliefs. The subconsciously held beliefs. Now, <coughs> if you're wanting to change that, and most of us try and do that from time to time, it's called behavioralism. If we're wanting to change that, how have you got on? How have you got on working on your behaviour? On a good day, you can cope. If you've done really well, you might cope for a week. <coughs> Usually not. Because this stuff... That's the toxic chemicals in the basement of our being. Those toxic chemicals, the beliefs we have about ourselves, the subconsciously held beliefs we have, they permeate through there like a drum of toxic chemicals that are rusting and they're leaking out and they're leaking up through our building. And here's the thing, it doesn't matter what colour you paint your house. It doesn't matter what wallpaper you put on. It doesn't matter what carpet you have. It doesn't matter what furnishings you have. It doesn't matter what car you drive. It's not going to stop it leaking. So the goal, oh, I'll use me as the example briefly. My dad, <coughs> when he married mum, Dad was 43, mum was 36. They had five boys after that. Go figure. <coughs> so when I come along on boy number three, dad was closer to 50 than to 40. And so he worked really hard in a one-man business trying to keep the family going. He's a, he's a very hard worker. Children are good absorbers of information, poor interpreters. As a little fella, I played schoolboy rugby and I played on a Saturday. I only ever remember Dad coming to watch me play once in all the time I ever played. 
So unbeknown to me, I formed a hidden belief that I was insignificant and unimportant. Could you see how I could have formed that? My self-talk, when I thought about it, (coughs) was, Alan, shut up, no one cares what you have to say. So just shut up. Which I did, I I got saved when I was 27. So, So in my teenage years, I discovered alcohol and I used to drink to get drunk. No other reason, because when I was drunk, I didn't care. I was finally free. Not for long, though, because my mouth got away on me and people would put their fists in my mouth from time to time. I don't know why. <coughs> so I formed a hidden belief I was insignificant and unimportant. Was that belief telling me the truth? It wasn't telling me the truth. It was a lie. So I needed to replace the lie with the truth. That's the goal. What lie are you believing that you're hiding behind your bush because you don't, you, you don't want anyone to see you naked, so you're hiding? What lie are you believing that God is, walk, God is walking in the garden of your soul, even right now, and he's saying, please come out. Please, please come out because I want to clothe you in my righteousness that I paid for you through the blood of my son Jesus. I want to give you a white robe, a robe of righteousness. I want to wash you clean from your guilt, from your shame, from the belief you've formed about yourself because it's a lie, Ellen. So what have you got in your life that's lying to you, that's tripping you up, and the door is open for the devil to come and screw you over because that's what he does. Now, I'm not giving the devil too much, too much credit <coughs> because the truth is when we replace the lie with the truth, the devil is shut out. That's the most powerful spiritual warfare you will ever do. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. The most powerful spiritual warfare you will ever do is to hunt out the lie, replace it with the truth, shut the door on the enemy, open the door up to God. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. He said that to the church. Galatians 2, 2 uh, not Galatians, Revelation 3.20, isn't it? He said that to one of the churches. That's not, to, that's not to a secular world, although I think it relates to that, but he didn't say it to them, he said it to us. <coughs> so what door do you need to open to the Lord, let him in? The only access the devil has is through the lies. The greatest access that God has into your life is through the truth. That's the greatest access. Imagine opening yourself up to the truth. Imagine believing the truth and living in there. Imagine owning that. Imagine owning the image you were originally created in and living in the freedom of that in every facet of your life. Imagine that. What would it feel like if tomorrow when you woke up, you actually believed what God says about you and you lived in that, liberated? Would it change your day? Heck yes. Would it change your life? Oh yes. That's a real important thing. We need to trace, face, and replace the lies in our life. You know, one of the things I said as a promo for you guys coming was (coughs) my goal is to give you some tools, skills, and insights to help you so that you can go from here and begin to work on this. I literally found this 
in a seminar I went to, literally found this, and I thought to myself, there's something in there for me. So what I used to do was I would say, oh, I just went into that large group of people, and I felt something. I felt intimidated. I felt small. felt something. So I came home that day, literally sat in my lounge, and I literally opened this up, and I said, I felt something. What did I say to myself that made me feel like that? Now, it's a bit of a journey. You've got to think about it, but that's the goal, isn't it? When we do what we can, God will do what we can't. What was I saying to myself? And then I thought, I'm saying that no one cares what you have to say. I thought, actually, I can hear myself saying that now I think about it. So now I say that to myself. I'm saying that. What do I believe about me that causes me to say that? And I actually literally got a picture of me when I was playing rugby. No dad. And I thought, blow me down. I believe I'm insignificant and unimportant. Guess what? I was a Christian. I was a Christian. I've been a Christian for quite a long time before I worked on that one. I believed everybody else was significant, just not me. I believed I was saved because for God so loved the world. And, and he's got big hands and he'll pick me up in there somewhere along the way. <laughs> you know, I get, I get saved, lucky me. Get, get caught up in the net. <clears throat> but once I believed that truth, I literally was able to do this. So I go like that. There goes a hair. He counted it. He knows how many hairs there are on my head. I couldn't have believed that before. But it's literally true. Because I got rid of the lie, replaced it with the truth. I had a, I had a, I had a, um, a more open heaven to come into my being. And I've observed that in so many people that I've supported along the ways. They get to hear from God, like this lady I was telling you about, heard from God, just so profound for her. She believed she was useless. She did something, it changed her, and she just opened herself up, tapped in, tapped into the Almighty. A beautiful thing. <coughs> okay, cup of tea. So we'll have a quarter of an hour. Thank you. So we'll be back here by, um, by just before half past eight. Thank you very much. <laughs> Toilet. And he says, wow, that's interesting. And how does that help? And she said, because I use your toothbrush. <laughs> that's called passive-aggressive. <coughs> If God didn't want you to exist, you wouldn't be here. The only reason you are here is because he wants you. If he didn't want you, you wouldn't be here. I want you to think about that. It's absolutely true. Someone just shared some 120, 139 with me uh, just, just a few minutes ago. Read it. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I knew you. You came into being because he wants you. And there's only one you. And he wants you to be free like his son Jesus. <clears throat> this building, <coughs> the concept of this building is for you. It's not for you to use on someone else. It's too dangerous for that, to be honest. It's for you to work on yourself. 
Because if you go to someone and say, <coughs> what's going on for you, and nothing wrong with that, all that's good. But if you're trying to get down into the basement and you get some cathartic response from them, they start tearing up and they start crying. That's even not bad. But if you're trying to get them to their hidden belief so they can replace it, <coughs> you've got to be pretty skilled to be able to do that well. It's like, it's like it's not hard to cut someone's guts open and see their guts spill out, the cathartic release. But it's much harder. It takes more of a surgeon to be able to put their guts back properly and stitch it up nicely. So this is to be used for you on you. Now, now you may be able, it may be helpful for you as an indicator that um, all behaviour comes from beliefs. And so when you see someone you love behaving badly, don't react. Respond. I wonder where that's coming from. Well, that's healthy, that's fine. But please don't just use this as a tool that, oh, I'll work on, you know, I'll use it for other people. <coughs> By all means, use it to help process some things for you. And if you get stuck, track, track, <coughs> track me down. I want to quickly show you another concept that's similar, that will just, <coughs> it may be more helpful for some to see this way. <coughs> here's, a here's an element on a stove. <coughs> the element's on high. <coughs> There's a pot on the element with a lid on it. There's liquid in the pot. You're the liquid in the pot. That's you. You're the liquid. Because the element's on high <coughs> and there's a lid on, it starts bubbling out. It starts bubbling out as anger, frustration, anxiety, you know, all sorts of things, those sorts of things. <coughs> so what's the goal here? How do we deal with this? Now, I don't think I, I haven't got that <coughs> in the handout, so you can draw a picture if you want to, if it's helpful. So the element's on high. Now, this is me, and so I'm insignificant. So that was my belief. That's the heat. That's the heat generating. That's, that's the hidden belief generating my anger. Oh, <coughs> by the way, all, I was, was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. All anger comes from a sense of threat. Really important to understand that. All anger comes from a sense of threat. Now, you might say, but Jesus got angry. Yeah, he did. Why? Why did he get angry? Because the threat was in in the temple, the threat was people were abusing that place so people couldn't worship God. So he, that threatened Jesus. He didn't like that. It was getting in the way of what these people wanted to do in an encounter with God. <coughs> All anger comes from a sense of threat. So if, if, if you're an angry person, there's something that's threatening you there. And you use anger. We use anger like a guard dog to keep people away. 
keep them away from us because we don't want them to we don't want them we don't want to be exposed to what we believe we are so we use anger to project out as a guard dog to keep people away <coughs> so i'm insignificant bubbles out anger anxiety frustration shutting down whatever we've got a few options here to deal with it <coughs> option number one is we lift the lid because it's starting to heat up we lift the lid that's called cathartic release that's called uh, letting off steam and we might have a rant or something like that the problem with that <coughs> it's not the worst option but the problem with it when we let off steam steam still burns so someone's got getting hurt there's still something going on that's not healthy so letting off steam, not the best option. Here's the worst option for you. <coughs> oh, well, I'll just bolt it down. I'll just suck it up. What happens there is that now becomes a pressure cooker. They use them as bombs. And when they go off, someone gets badly hurt. Someone will go to prison. Someone may die. Someone, um, we've done some damage that's basically irreparable. Or, or hard to repair because <coughs> when all that pressure is going on there that's called rage and when rage is let loose very very unhealthy so that's not a good option another option is <coughs> oh well I'm going to take my pot off the element and go overseas and live there for a while or, or you know I don't know leave the spouse or whatever that you think is, is the perception of where the problem lies, oh, stuff it, I'm getting out of here. The problem with that is, it's my element. So what's the answer? Turn off the heat. Trace, face, replace. Turn off the heat. Off or way down? <coughs> and I'll explain that in a minute. Off or way down? Because way down means I can now deal with it uh, in a rational way. <coughs> when you go to a doctor, you usually go because there are presenting symptoms, symptoms that may indicate a more serious problem. So I'm going to present to you some symptoms that indicate a deeper issue. I just presented one, anger. Anger is a symptom. It's not the cause, it's a symptom. So where is the anger coming from? That's what we need to find out. Here's another one. <coughs> so you can write these down because I don't have them there. You don't have to, though. Do you have drive or are you driven? Drive is the natural desire to make the most of what you have, where you are, who you are. That's, that's drive. That's healthy. Making the most of that. That's healthy. Driven is... So, so with drive is you try your best... Stuff up, oh well, I've learned from that, I'll do better next time. Driven is you, you, you have to do your best because if you don't and you stuff up, they've seen my nakedness, so I've got to work really, really hard. The 80-year-old, that's driven. So do you have drive or are you driven? Now, you, you, you need to... What's the line? can't remember it. You need to be able to ask yourself the honest questions. You know, what stupid thing am I doing on a regular basis to screw my life up? 
That's a good, honest question to ask yourself. What stupid thing am I doing to screw my life up? But you have to really want to know the answer because that's going deep and you may not want to see that. Passive-aggressive, like the lady in the toothbrush, it's another indicator, just another form of anger, to be honest. <coughs> All anxiety comes from fear. If you're an anxious person, you're a fearful person. Anxiety, oh, here's a thought. We don't have anxiety, we do anxiety. There's a challenge. No, you don't have anxiety, you're doing anxiety. Why are you doing anxiety? Anxiety is, anxiety is experiencing fear before anything has actually gone wrong. Anxiety is experiencing fear before anything has gone wrong. It's like the saying, worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. It's what worry is. What are you worrying about? Tom brought a message the other day, and, and my take home from the message was, don't worry, pray. If you're worrying, turn your worry to prayer. Worry's like um, rocking horses, isn't it? It just gives you something to do, but you get nowhere. Are you thin-skinned? Do you take offence easily? If you're thin-skinned, if you're easily offended, someone's pressing your button. Whose button? Your button. Someone's rattled your cage. Whose cage? Your cage. Here's a thought for you. When the river runs low, the rocks begin to show. When the river runs low, the rocks begin to show. So when, when you halt, hurt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed, halts, when one of those things is going on, the river runs low. It could reveal a rock. And some of us say, blimmin' rock. <coughs> Go like this, God, how, this is terrible. And God's basically saying, well, there's a rock there, Alan. There's a rock there. You've let the rock stay there. Let's get rid of the rock. Let's get rid of the rock. I love it when God says that. He doesn't say, well, it's your rock. Get them and rid of it yourself. He says, you start doing what you can. I'll turn up. Promise. You do what you can. I'll be there. But you've got to start, Alan. When you start, when you, when you go like this, when you dare to go like this, I'll be there. Because I'm not in the darkness. I don't live in darkness, Alan. I live in light. So the moment you're able to bring your deeds into the open, you know, 1 John 1, 7, walk in the light as he is in the light. And then you'll have fellowship with each other. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, is able to purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, sin is just anything God doesn't agree with. <clears throat> when I read the word sin in the Bible, for me, once upon a time, I was the picture I always had was God as this big old fella sitting on some chair, tough-looking old dude, actually, looking at me going, you disgust me, Alan. You disgusting sinner. I don't think that at all now. I just think of a loving God who says, Alan, you can do better. You're missing the mark, Alan. You can do better. Let's start doing better. 
It's going to be good for you. I want my son to grow. I want my son to succeed. This is getting in the way of that. Let's deal with it. (coughs) That's what he wants for us. So secure, insecure people are, in, are, are thin-skinned and not flexible. We're inflexible. Insecure people are inflexible. They don't roll with the punches easily. They get quickly and easily offended. Why? Well, because you've, got a, you, you, you've had a hurt pressed. Ah, hurt indicates pain. Pain indicates problem. Pain actually indicates something that needs to be healed, isn't it? So the goal is to be healed. Oh, but I can't open my hand up. It's too embarrassing. <coughs> mm. If we don't, he can't get at it. James 4, I think it is, isn't it? Uh, James 4, 6 to 8. God opposes the proud. Oh, heck. But gives grace to the humble. So God opposes the proud. Nothing wrong with me. Not my fault. It's your fault. God can't work with that. He opposes you. If you're saying there's nothing wrong with you, you need to have an honest look at yourself. Because God is opposing you. You do not want God to oppose you. He has to oppose you because there's nothing he can do. You see, if, if you say there's nothing wrong with you and he, he starts trying to, to prove there is by ripping something out of your hand, then you've got to fight on, don't you? You're holding on to something and he's trying to pull it off. He doesn't do that. God stands in the garden of your soul saying, <coughs> Alan, come out. He says, Alan, you're holding on to a lie. Alan, receive my truth. He won't rip the lie from you. He's just standing there every day saying, there's a lie there, Alan. It's why you keep tripping over. It's why you get angry. It's why you're not succeeding. But when you're able to go, yep, 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 yep. There must be something going on here because I'm not walking in freedom. And your promise is that freedom's available to me. Well, I'm not experiencing it, certainly not in that area of my life. And he says, good, now we're getting somewhere. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. (coughs) What does that mean? We hear that verse... And we go, oh, there's something powerful there. You know, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. What does it actually mean? How do we do that? What's the practical aspect of that? I'll tell you what I believe it is. Submit to God. Who is God? He's the author of truth, isn't he? So we submit to truth. (coughs) The devil is the father of lies. So let's resist the lies. 
<coughs> and he will flee freedom. We will have freedom. It's his promise. We will have freedom. The only access the devil has is through the lies you believe. That's called bondage. Freedom is when we receive the truth and walk in the truth. <coughs> draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When we have freedom, then we can experience comfort. <coughs> I have had so many times where clients have found <coughs> wonderful truth. I had a guy, I'm allowed to tell the story. <coughs> he, was a, um, he was at a Bible college. He had been sent to New Zealand to train for three years to be a prophet and an evangelist. That's why he was sent to New Zealand. And he believed the call on his life was his. <clears throat> Three months before his training ended and he was to go back, he was starting to really freak out. Because even though he believed he was called to that, he felt too insignificant to step into the call. So he comes and sees me. I'm making this a very short story. He comes and sees me. We do the trace, the face, and replace thing. We go through that process. He shares with me <clears throat> that his father was a bully and bullied him, made him believe he was worthless, worthless. And so worthless people count for nothing. Who am I to stand up and, and proclaim the truth as a prophet or an evangelist? Who am I to do that? He knew he was called. Who am I to do that? And as time was getting closer for him to go back, he was truly petrified of going back because the church that he came from spent a lot of time and a, or a lot of money on him coming over for training because they knew he was called. He knew he was called. But as the time got closer, he was getting more and more afraid of what that might look like, that he's not capable of that. So anyway, long story short, he discovers the lie. He replaces the lie with the truth. He comes and sees me a week later. And he says to me, I've just had the most amazing encounter with God that I've ever had in my life. He is now, the last I heard, is he is a missionary in a Muslim country. Beat that. Now, what I mean by that is beat that for courage. <laughs> That's what I mean by that. Beat that for courage. Could he have done that prior to that? Heck no. The truth has set him free. I've seen that so many times for people. That when the veil is lifted. You see, <coughs> here's the thing. If that's me, and that's the lies, I believe... Oh, yeah, that's all right for God, isn't it? And this is God, the water of life. Joe, could you pick that up for me, please? Anyone? <coughs> Chuck it back on there. So that's God. How well can he get at me? He can't. I still sense him, but when I get rid of it, it was good timing. <laughs> access. Access to the water of life, to freedom. So what's getting in your way from all he has for you? Because there will be something, usually. You may have already dealt with it. Praise the Lord. And I really mean that. That's wonderful if you have. <clears throat> but if there's something getting in the way, trace it, face it, replace it. Here's another concept. <clears throat> so we're moving into a slightly different realm now. 
<coughs> there's different parts to our brain. There's the um, frontal cortex. The frontal cortex's job is to understand time. If that bit got damaged, time is distorted because that's the, that's the bit that understands time. But back here, it's called the amygdala. <coughs> the amygdala's job is to store and relay feelings and emotions. That's its job. It has no concept of time. <coughs> when I was five, I got bitten by a black dog. Uh, I know exactly where I was when it happened. It was chewing on my hand. It was yucky. I was scared stiff. There was blood. There was slime and all that sort of stuff. I had to literally pull my hand out of its mouth. While that was happening, the amygdala says, heck, that's horrible, that's frightening, that's fearful. The adrenal gland was pumping adrenaline to try and fight flight, get me, get me the heck out of there. <coughs> the very next time, and most of you can relate to this, the very next time I saw that dog, the amygdala, no concept of time, the amygdala says, oh, that dog equals this fear. And it was like my hand was back in its mouth. If you've had a car accident and you drive past where the accident was, same sort of thing. Same sort of thing. And so our feelings can end up controlling us. Our feelings can take over facts. Feelings are not facts. Those four words set me free. I was what was called an emotionally based reasoner. If it felt like something was going to happen... Well, it blimmin' well was, and so I'll be on my guard. So I'd go through my day waiting for the axe to fall, waiting for dread was the concept I had in my mind. Something dreadful was going to happen. I'd walk through my day waiting for it to happen, whether it was a car accident or, or uh, <coughs> some really, really bad news, or I was going to do something dumb. Never happens, does it? <coughs> that sort of thing. And by the end of the day, nothing bad had happened. Well, I just had another wasted day because I relied on my feelings. And when I was taught feelings are not facts, it was like, well, blow me down. I didn't know that. I thought feelings were reliable. No, feelings are not reliable. Feelings are to serve us, not master us. This is a truck. It's actually a train. Use your imagination. <coughs> My truck and trailer has gone missing. <laughs> this is a truck. This is a trailer. Truck units pull trailer units. That's their job, right? A truck unit's job is to pull a trailer unit. It's not a trailer unit's job to try and pull the trucks. not designed for that. Trucks are designed to pull trailers. Trailers are not designed to pull trucks. So <coughs> when this, oh, this is truth or facts. This is feelings and moods and emotions. So when these Feelings, moods, and emotions come sweeping over me and come here. Where's this gone? It rolls down the hill, and all I'm left with is this. Now what's controlling me? Feelings. Feelings are controlling me. Feeling scared because there might be a dog. That's where phobias come from, by the way, an overactive amygdala. That is where phobias come from. So if you have been abused, yelled at by a big person in your life and you feel afraid every time you hear someone yell, you feel afraid, it's the amygdala. 
See, amygdala is saying, oh, yelling means be very afraid. Confrontation equals threat. So you won't have confrontation because there's no way in the world you're going to allow that feeling to rule you, so I'll avoid that. So no confrontation means you, you, um, you, you become a people pleaser or, <coughs> or you... Um, you know, uh, peace at any price. And the price for peace at any price is resentment and lack of your own self-respect because you should have stood up and you didn't. That's what you think about yourself. <clears throat> but when we can realize, okay, feelings are meant to serve me, not master me. That's one of the big keys. Feelings are real. So I'm not saying you deny your feeling. I'm saying you challenge its accuracy. You assess it with what's the truth here. That's the goal, isn't it? The truth will set you free. Jesus didn't, didn't say, well, feelings will set you free. He said truth will set you free. And here's the thing, folks. We now live in a secular culture where truth has been rejected. So when truth is rejected, what do you have left? Seriously. That's our culture. We have this. And what's an outworking of that? Well, an 8-year-old boy, a 12-year-old boy, whatever, feels like they were born in the wrong body because of something that's happened in their own thinking. They feel like they were born in the wrong body, and all the adults say, well, you must have been then if that's how you feel, so let's do some hormonal treatment. That is grievous. That makes me weep. Don't rely on feelings. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? We're truth-based people, not feeling-based. Now, I'm not saying get rid of feelings, but I am saying make sure they serve you, not master you. If you are being mastered by a feeling, there's something inaccurate there. <coughs> I love supporting people with that. It's a real deal. A real deal. <coughs> because usually with a lie, remember we face or we trace, face and replace the lies. Usually with a lie there is a feeling attached. You feel worthless. I had a guy very recently, in fact, I had him last night, and I said to him, do you mind if I use you as the example? He said, no, that's fine. He's not from here. <coughs> he believed, because of what happened in his childhood, he believed that he was <coughs> useless. And with that came the feeling of being embarrassed. Embarrassed because he was useless, so he hated the feeling of feeling embarrassed. <coughs> He's separated from his wife now. They have four children. They're only a young family. He's separated from his wife because he hated the feeling of being embarrassed to the degree that if any, any challenge came along that he needed to rise to the occasion, he never did because <coughs> he didn't want to be embarrassed. He never ever went to any school production. Never. So all his children thought he wasn't interested in them. 
He couldn't go to a school production because he was scared stiff if he saw them get embarrassed. Well, he knew what embarrassment felt like. So he had projected his embarrassment onto them and he couldn't cope with seeing them feel embarrassed like he would feel embarrassed. So he would feel embarrassed for them. And that feeling was overwhelming for him. (coughs) So good news for him. I helped him work that through. (coughs) This is a beautiful story. Last week, he went and saw his kid at school for the first time ever. His kid was so pleased to see his dad. And and the dad said to me, I was sitting there with all the other parents, and I was mumbling to myself everything you taught me, and I was doing this because of everything you taught me, and I was saying this because of everything you taught me, and I I I was proclaiming this because of everything you taught me. And I said, I wonder what the parents were thinking while they were watching you. <laughs> but he realized that he could downgrade his unbearable feeling from unbearable. When it's here, it's unbearable, isn't it? If you've got one, you know what I mean. It's here, it's unbearable. I had a guy that <coughs> his wife found him hanging in the shed. She cut him down. He didn't die. He came to see me. We unpacked it. His unbearable feeling was feeling humiliated because when he was a kid, he felt humiliated. And I said to him, what would you rather be? Would you rather feel humiliated or die? And he laughed. Didn't hesitate. Die, of course. It's the power of an unbearable feeling rather be dead than feel that feeling. And that's what he tried to do. He tried to be dead. By the way, suicide is not trying to end your life. It's trying to end your pain. It's a pain issue. It's not a life issue. Suicide is about trying to end pain, not trying to end life. <coughs> So in regards to feelings, you don't have to deny your feelings, just their accuracy. Feelings are not facts. Feelings are there to serve us, not master us. Feelings are real but not necessarily telling us the truth. Feelings are uh, are determined by reality. They themselves shouldn't determine reality. (coughs) Get control of your feelings before they get control of you. (coughs) What I want you to do is I want you to (coughs) find that in your handout, please. (coughs) this says revelation requires application to become transformation otherwise its end is frustration (coughs) so the things that we've talked about tonight I'm I'm hoping you can get a glimpse of the revelation that's available to you when you you recognise the lie and you say blow me down that's a lie this is the truth And so then we start walking in the freedom of the truth. Now, I haven't gone into lots of detail about that. There is a process to that. Track me down if ever you want to. (coughs) But when we have the revelation, we must apply it. It's like if a doctor, (coughs) if you go to a doctor and you've got a rash on your arm 
and he looks at that rash and he says, oh yeah, it's that time of the year, I know exactly what that rash is, here's the cream, put it on three times a day and come and see me in a week. So in a week's time you go back and see him and the rash is in, it's got worse. And the doctor said, fluff, I can't work that out, that cream should have helped that rash. Um, how many times did you put it on again? And the guy says, it's always going to be a guy, isn't it? <laughs> no. <coughs> and the person says, oh no, I just put it on my bedside cabinet. I didn't apply it. And doctors say, oh, well, no application, no healing. Same for us. You can know the truth, but you have to apply the truth. Simple but not easy. Everything I've shared so far, there's a simple aspect to it. There's aspects of it that isn't easy. But that's the lay of the land. We live in a broken world with the healing God. Heck, I love that. We live in a broken world. You know, we all know that. Everybody knows it's broken. But we're not alone. We live in a broken world with the healing God. So let's get the cream. <laughs> let's find the healing. You don't have to stay broken. Did you hear me? You don't have to stay broken. Good news. <coughs> I attach this verse to this saying. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says <coughs> is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that brings freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You know, anyone who listens to the word, what's the word? Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, what's the perfect law? I truly believe the perfect law is truth. It's just truth. If you apply the truth to your life, the promise is, the bottom line, you'll be blessed in what you do. That's the bottom line. That's very good news. But we've got to apply it. Don't just put it on your bedside cabinet. Unopened. <laughs> I, had, I had a mate of mine ring me up one day. It's a true story. They're all true stories. <coughs> a mate of mine ring me up the other day, oh, a while ago. No, it wasn't Paul. It wasn't you, Paul. And he said, uh, I had this amazing, rep. this is literally what he said. He said, I had this amazing revelation last night. And I said, what was it? He said, I don't know, I forgot. <laughs> he went back to sleep. He didn't think he'd forget because he got woken up in the middle of the night. Woohoo, profound. He went back to sleep and in the morning he'd forgotten what it was. He was really upset with himself. <laughs> Let's not forget. You must apply it. If you want transformation, you must apply the truth. There's a concept called limbic lag. It's another part of the brain. It's a limbic system. If you go to America and you're driving on the wrong side of the road, which for them is the right side of the road, it feels very, very, very uncomfortable because every part of you says, well, that's not right. <coughs> but once you've been driving on that side of the road for, I don't know, a few weeks, maybe a month, it's very natural. So the things I'm talking to you about, when you start applying them, it feels unnatural. And you might even say, well, it feels so unnatural it can't be true or it can't be right. Well, I encourage you to critique that, ask God, because it may very well be absolutely right. And the reason you're feeling uncomfortable is you're challenging the lie. You're challenging the feeling. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Everybody fold your arms, please. 
just how you normally would. Just fold your arms. Nice and comfy. Now fold them the other way. Not so comfy, is it? Now, me looking at you, it still looks just as comfortable. But for you, it feels, no, this is unnatural. This doesn't feel comfortable at all. I feel like I stand out. I feel like it's not working. <coughs> we are changing our mind here. Don't conform to the pattern that you've lived by. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we renew our mind, we're building another groove. <coughs> Literally, actually. So this is the pattern of your world. This is how you've lived. This is what you believe about yourself. You lived in there. You've dug that groove. It's very familiar. It's just what you do. It's just how you think. It's just how you feel. The moment this happens here, that's the end result. <coughs> and then you realise, actually, that's a lie. It's actually a lie. You know, something happened to me here. Oh, there's evidence, I'm a failure. It's a lie. And so then the truth comes in. And that's the truth. This is a big, deep groove. Neurological circuitry. It's a big, deep groove. And now you've got to build a new groove. And the more you live in there, the more you live in there, that starts to fill in, this starts to dig deeper. That's the limbic system at work. <coughs> you know, the truth is the bucket of fairy dust is empty. Jenny threw it all over me when she got married to me. She thought, I'm desperate, I need to change this fella because he's not doing so good. Well, she threw it over me and it didn't work. So then she got the magic wand and smacked it over my head and she broke it. So there's no fairy dust, there's no magic wand, all gone. So what's the solution? Well, the stuff we talked about. The truth will set you free. Here's a concept I really, really like. <coughs> Try, fail, learn, grow, <coughs> try, fail, learn, grow, ETC, <coughs> that's our life, that's how it's meant to be, how did you learn to walk? You tried, you fell over. Something happens in our brain. You learn something, you get up. You have another crack, you fall over, but you got a little better. You get up, you have another crack, you got a bit better. You get up, eventually you start walking. How about you guys? How's it going? Try. See, if you believe you're a failure, this is what will happen. <coughs> if you try it all, you won't give it, a, you won't give it your best shot because you believe you're going to fail. So you won't give it your best shot. It's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when you do fail, 
You say, yeah, there's more evidence, I'm a failure. Well, it's a lie, isn't it? And then you get stuck. If you are here, wherever here is, and you want to be there, you see something you want, you want to be there, but you haven't gone for it yet, and you should have, but you haven't, the thing that's in the way will be probably an unbearable feeling. Like, if I fail, I feel useless. So when you're able to deal with that, you're then able to step into try, fail, learn, grow. You know what this is? They call them clacker boards, or clip, clip, clicker boards, or whatever it's called. So I want you to imagine, here's the, here's the, here's the movie, we're, we're on a movie set, you're all actors, the, the camera's here, and um, the director says, you know, take one, scene two, and then you're all acting, and someone makes a mistake, <coughs> and then he says, uh, you know, mistake. A mistake is just a mistake. That's all it is. Take two, have another go. But if you think failure is fatal, you won't have another go. In fact, you won't even give, the, give, give your first go a good go. But when you can realise a mistake, a mistake, just a mistake, okay, I'll try, I'll fail, I'll learn, I'll grow. And then you can grow. So if there's something getting in the way of you growing, if there's something getting in the way of where you feel you would like to be, or maybe even feel called to be, something getting in the way of that, <coughs> work, on, work out what that something is. Track me down if you want, whatever. You know, Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know the word transformed is the Greek word metamorphosis. So to be transformed, it's only mentioned twice in the Bible, that word transformed. It's be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and we're transformed to the likeness of Christ. Same time. It's the only, time, only two times it's ever mentioned. So transformed, metamorphosis. What's metamorphosis? Metamorphosis is an egg becoming a caterpillar to a chrysalis to a butterfly. What was the egg designed to ultimately be? Butterfly. How do we get to be the butterfly? In other words, how do we get to be... To, to be free, to soar, to be all the potential we can be. We've got to go through metamorphosis, the renewing of the mind, breaking yourself down, being broken down so you can reassess what's going on, what's getting in the way. Putting on the mind of Christ, transformed to the mind of Christ. If my mind is not in agreement with Christ's mind, my mind needs transforming, breaking down, working through, wrestling with. <coughs> Here's a thought for you. While spiritual oppression is real and does at times need to be directly addressed in the authority that comes from knowing who we are in Christ, our primary conflict is not against evil spirits. 
but against misbeliefs and mindsets or strongholds that allow these destructive agents their foothold in the first place. The only access the devil has into your life is through the lies you believe. That's what that means. So, spiritual oppression is real and does at times need to be directly addressed in the authority that comes from knowing who we are in Christ. But the primary conflict is not against evil spirits. It's against the misbeliefs and the mindsets or strongholds that have allowed these destructive agents their foothold in the first place. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 said, It is true that we live in the world, <coughs> but we do not fight from worldly motives. The weapons we use in our fight are not the world's weapons, but God's powerful weapons, which we use to destroy strongholds. We destroy false arguments. We pull down every proud obstacle that raises itself against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I had a guy come to me. Lovely guy. Godly guy. He had a sexual fetish that he was disgusted with. He had sought prayer. He sought all sorts of things to get rid of it. He found himself in a situation where he thought he might have been filmed acting out the sexual fetish. He was scared stiff. He thought he would be exposed. So he literally comes to me that day and he says, in my place of work they put cameras and I'd forgotten they put cameras and I did something and I think it might have been filmed. I'm in the poo and I need to deal with this. And so he expresses to me, he tells me the sexual fetish and I ask him some questions. I'll share this with you actually a little bit. When he was a little boy, he was um, a belated child, and so his next younger sibling was his sister, who when he was born, she was 12. And she loved on him, you know, like, like a sister would, kind of treated him like her son in a, in a loving way, in a beautiful way, and he loved her uh, dearly. <coughs> Unbeknown to him, she gets herself pregnant at the age of 16. So the family send her away. He wakes up in the morning, she's gone. All that he had to remember her by was a pair of her shoes. So he loved on the shoes. And as he grew into a teenager, that loving on the shoes became a sexual fetish for women's shoes. Can you see how that could be? I can. So when we were able to trace that and face that and replace it, I'm making this a very short story just for the sake of time. When that happened, he looked at me. Like I say, it's a short story now. He looked at me and he said to me literally these words, that's the most powerful spiritual warfare I've ever had in my life. And he walked out free and he's still free. Changed his life. Changed him. He's free. That's beautiful. That's what can happen. When we take, we pull down those strongholds, where we take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. See, (coughs) like one of those quotes says, we don't defeat darkness by wrestling with darkness. We defeat darkness by bringing in the life and the light. 
That's it. <clears throat> so I will finish there. There is a bit more, but that's, that's fine. That's enough. Um, I really, really encourage you to take hold of things and begin to process things. God will work with you on those things like a seed. He'll work with you on those. I've had the privilege to... Uh, be invited to do podcasts by, by a ministry called Know My Faith. And so <coughs> there's a couple of them up. There's another one I did last week. I don't think it's up yet. But you can check them out. They may be helpful. Um, you can On YouTube, just, just um, YouTube Alan Davey Living Well, and they'll come up. A couple of them will come up, should come up. Uh, they'll also be on my website, but I haven't quite got that sorted yet, so that'll be, that'll be like that in, in a week's time. So my website, I think, is on, your business, on that business card that's available to you as well. A couple of books I recommend just before I finish. Surrender to Love or The Gift of Being Yourself by David G. Benner. Either of those, beautiful. David G. Benner is a spiritual director and a psychologist. That's a good mix. He writes very well. Easy read, small books. Another book, best book I've ever read. Oh, in fact... <coughs> One of the handouts you've got, this handout here, <coughs> I, I, I wrote that up after reading the book. You won't find this in the book. You'll find the concept there, but you won't find that there. So I've given them the credit for that because all I'm doing is just regurgitating something. And that, So that book is called How People Grow by Cloud and Townsend. Really recommend that. Best book I've ever read on psychology, and it's by two Christian guys. <coughs> this is another excellent book. Please get this book. I think if you're only going to get one of them, get this one, please. Teach Your Children to Tell Themselves the Truth by William Backus. Now, there's others teaching you to tell yourself the truth, but I like the Teaching Your Children one because it's, he simplifies it and you take hold of it for yourself anyway. So Teach Your Children to Tell Themselves the Truth. That's a very good book. <clears throat> okay, I'm just going to pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you... Um, uh, Lord, we recognise we live in a broken world, but we live in it with you, and you've, you've got healing available to us, and you've got freedom available to us, and the truth sets us free. So as we, as we seek to engage with that, an honest engagement, Lord God, with life and uh, with our life, and, um, and, and, and even critiquing ourselves and, and, and honestly facing what's going on, <coughs> as we do that, you'll do what we can't. I'm just so grateful for you for that. So come and have your way here with us, I pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Alan, thank you so much. You've uh, shared a lot with us tonight and you've given us a lot of meat and things to digest. And uh, they're good things. You know, you're talking about um, being in the darkness, coming to the light. I remember the terror of being in the darkness and f fearing the light. When I came into the light eventually, the freedom and knowing that the darkness... There was an illusion I put in my mind. It was so liberating. I'm so, so grateful for that. I just thought the gospel was, you know, um, uh, seek forgiveness later on in life and you'll get to heaven. And it did nothing for me in my life. And as my life.